Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 335 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I am the CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources, and a wonderfully supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher and the Firestar series. How are you, Al? Well, I'm I'm actually pretty good, Val. I have That's to say, good. it's uh, yep. Everyone's out of the house, so it's you know quiet, calm, restful, mm. all the things I like. I've had my morning walk with the lovely Procrasty Pup, who had his birthday this week. So there's been some you know birthday party action for Procrasty Pup, and um, and of course we had our very first Your Kids Next Read um, Facebook event. Um, and it went, and, and despite the fact that it was just me in charge of the ship, um, it actually went surprisingly well. So even That's with technology great. involved, I know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I was quite, quite chuffed by my ability to pull it off without too many dramas. So, And who did you um, interview on the Facebook Live? We interviewed Amy Kaufman, the New York Times bestselling author, Amy Kaufman. She, of course, writes YA and we, and also middle grade. So we talked about her her new her um, new book, which is the third book in her Elemental series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it was a really great chat because, of course, that group is all readers. Um, mm. So it was quite an interesting contrast for me um, because obviously we talk to writers about writing for writers um, whereas I was talking to her as a writer talking to a writer but for readers and Mm. all of our questions were sourced through the group so we had a competition a giveaway competition and if you pre-submitted questions you were you know in the running for that so of course they were reader questions and it was um, it was fantastic it just gives a whole different just a different perspective on on a book, um, which I found uh, very refreshing, um, having you know spent so many years delving into the scaffolding of how things work, mm. um, it was lovely to talk about the final, you know, painting, so to speak. Yes. So it was, yeah, or the final building, the architecture. Um, so yeah, no, it was great. I really, really enjoyed it. And of course, anyone who um, who listened to Amy's. Uh, episode that we did with her which was I think 260 something like it was a it was a fair while ago um it was a terrific 276 interview. oh there you go 276 it was a terrific interview uh she is very very clever and very very experienced um author she has books in 30 countries she has oh um you know a series in development for television and film she has I, she is a very 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 clever author and I, I still think that that was one of our best um interviews with regards to the scaffolding uh, you know getting into the nuts and bolts of how things work and particularly pitching um which of course is a massive part of any author's uh, life, disappointingly. Um, but she talked about her formula of how she pitches and what she includes and mm. what it needs to be like. And so if you haven't listened to that episode, I strongly urge you to go back and, and listen to episode 276. And, of course, if you want to listen or watch Alison's interview with her, if you're a reader of Amy Kaufman as well, um, Alison, you want to put the link in the show notes? so that people can see where they can we, find that as well. Yes, so of course you well, can we're find... about to put it up on YouTube, so I will put the link to okay. the YouTube um, so that you can watch it um, in the show notes. Okay, yes, and you can find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. All right, so let's move on to the world of writing and publishing. You have an interesting link for us from Jane Friedman's website, don't you, Al? I do, um, and I think it's very much worth uh, having a look at this. It was very, very popular on the um, Australian Writers' Centre Facebook page when I shared it, mm. um, and it is called Questions to Ask Your Publisher Before You Sign the Contract. Um, and I think it's one of those things that I guess the thing I'm always fascinated by, you don't know what you don't know, right, Val? And we mm. often talk about this. And you don't know how much you learn, you know, through experience. And these are all things that, you know, I've learned through experience the hard way. Mm. Um, But it's it's amazing how much you don't know about this stuff when you 
you know, haven't been through the experience. Um, and Jane Friedman is um, a US, you know, expert in publishing, uh, both traditional and self. She writes a lot of stuff on her blog, Jane Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. And she has guest posters in all the time. Um, and it's very much worth having a look at the kinds of things she does because she's about, she's nuts and bolts about publishing. And there was a, a trending topic on Twitter uh, recently called hashtag publishing paid me, mm. um, which was the authors were sharing their advances. Um, and it was about, you know, the fact that um, uh, this was meant to reveal the stark differences between sort of what black and non-black authors get paid. Mm. And it was um, an interesting thing for me as, an, and I know many Australian authors as well, mm-hmm. um, the other interesting thing about it for us was the difference in the size of advances between oh, yes. the uh, US market and the Australian market. I mean, my yes. eyes were watering at the size of oh, some of crazy. the advances that were being paid, oh. like really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like it was just – it was about transparency and I think transparency is very, very important in all of these things. And Jane, of course, takes these things to – um, to the next level, but because one of the things, one of the calls to action was, you know, that people saying, you know, before you agree to a deal, you need to ask your publisher about their marketing and promotion plans. Mm. How are they going to support you? But people don't always know what to ask. They yes. don't know how to go about doing that. So this, she's just put together some questions, some things that you should think about asking before you sign a contract. And I think what happens, of course, is that. You, I mean, I, I look. I'm still to this day so gobsmackingly excited about being sent a contract that mm. you get nervous about asking questions. You like it's like it's going to go up in smoke if you ask the wrong thing. <laughs> but in some cases, if it goes up in smoke because you've asked the wrong thing, it's for a good reason. It's because yeah. you're asking a question that needed to be asked and yeah. signing a contract. Um, you know, with that particular thing in it or whatever is not necessarily going to be like not every contract is a good contract and it's really important mm-hmm. um, to understand that. And, of course, one thing that Australian authors have, and I'm sure the, that there is in, also in the US and other, other places, we have the Australian Society of Authors. Yeah. If you are a member of the Australian Society of Authors, they have a contract service. So even if you don't have an agent or, you know, you're not quite sure who to ask, they have a contract service where they will go through it for you and they will flag anything that they think is needing to be questioned. Um, And I strongly urge you, strongly urge you to, you know, to use that service if you can or Mm. to get an agent to look it over or someone that is not you because it's really important to get some kind of objective view on what this contract is going to be. So she asks, you know, she basically like – has, has some basic questions to start asking, um, you know, and what she basically says is that if you're signing with a, a traditional publisher, they have, you know, essentially four uh, major areas of responsibility. Mm-hmm. One is producing the best quality book. Secondly is selling the book into accounts such as mm. bookstores, wholesalers, retailers, libraries, you know, anywhere books are sold. Marketing and publicising the book to the trade, so that's to booksellers, librarians, trade book reviews, those kinds of things, and then marketing and publicising the book to readers. Um, So she has a list of questions here that you want to ask regarding each of the four areas. Um, So, for example, with producing the best quality book, you know, who will your editor be? Are you going Mm. to be working with the person who is acquiring? Is it going to be an in-house editor? Will they be using a freelancer? Is that freelancer someone that they've used before? Who did they work with before? Get an idea of whether the editor is a good fit for your book. Get an idea of whether they've worked with the kinds of things you've done before. Um, She suggests you look at the publisher's recent cover designs. You want to basically be having a look at the – and this would be in your area. So if you're writing middle grade, Mm. look at their recent cover designs in that area. If you're writing romance fiction, look at their their recent cover designs in that area. Make sure Mm. that you're happy with, with what the designs are saying, who are the audiences that they're trying to contact. Would you be happy with your cover looking like that? Is that what you're going to be happy Mm. with? Because that's obviously what the publisher is leaning towards at that particular time. Because we've talked before that there's a lot of trends in 
you know, covers and yeah. um, there was the headless woman for a long time. You know, they've, sh- <laughs> they've shifted to more of a graphic look at the moment. Um, and what formats does the publisher plan to release the book in, um, you know, and when? Like is it going to come out as hardcover? Is it only coming out as ebook? Is it going to be, you know, a paperback? What, what kinds of things are there? So, you know, when you comes to producing the quality book, you need to get an idea of who you're working with and what these are. And these are the questions because you will be invited to meet your publisher as well. Mm. And so these are the sorts of questions it's worth going into a meeting with this sort of stuff in your head so that you've got an idea of, of you know, what you want to know and why you want to know it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really good post and you can check it out over um, at Jane Friedman's blog, but we'll put the link in the show notes, of course. So questions <laughs> to ask your publisher before you sign the contract. Now, we have an interesting link on the Australian Writer Centre blog and it's expert Carly Ratcliffe's five must-dos for would-be UXUI writers. Now, this is something that's really coming to the fore quite recently, UXUI writing, and it's something many people don't even think about even though you actually experience it every day. And the thing is, if you want to get into UX UI writing, it's not like you're born a UX UI writer. It's something that you usually come into on a more lateral level. Um, So if you're not sure what UX UI writing, UX is user experience and UI is user interface. And that is basically when you're reading a website and you're thinking and you're clicking, say, on a button. Well, why did you click on that button? You clicked on that button probably because it tempted you in some way or it had some words that enticed you to click. UX UI writing is also, you know how like sometimes you might um, um, uh, type into a chat box a, a lengthy question? You know, like you ask, you're on Amazon or you're on some kind of website where you want to ask the chat function a question. Well, you might type in that question, but it might be complex. So the thing is, because it has to process that question and it doesn't want you to wait, a message will often come back to you to say, oh, we're looking about that. We're checking on that now or something. Just even those messages are UX and UI writing. And somebody has to write those messages, right? Even if it's just a filler statement, somebody has to write that (laughs) because it's still processing your question, right, to to get you the correct answer. So it's basically guiding users through not only websites but through apps, through um, just whatever you interact with on your phone. Um, Sometimes when Siri says, let me look that up for you. That's UX, UI writing. Um, so that's something that's becoming in more and more demand because the more we use our devices, the more we use the internet, the more need there is for this kind of stuff and it's becoming quite a specialty. So we're finding that there are writers who um, have not done this before but they are discovering that people are asking for these sorts of services. If you're a freelance writer, it's a useful thing to add to your bow because then you can say, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got, I understand the principles of UX UI writing and I understand how it works. And, um, and yeah, there you go. Another revenue okay. stream for freelance yeah. writers. One thing to be aware of. Well, I, d- I'm not- I didn't know that that's what it was called. Like I yes. had no idea. Like when 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 that sort of course first appeared on the Australian Writers Centre and I was doing the social media, I had to actually actively investigate to see yes. what it was that I was actually um, talking about and then sort of do a bit more Googling to go, oh, okay, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> yes, it's it's an emerging um, area. and in-demand yeah. area. One thing, though, that I will say is that UX UI writing, it's quite collaborative. You, you don't just – like when you're writing articles, you can kind of just operate on your own. But with mm. UX UI writing, you're often working with the team, including, you know, the people who are developing the website, the people who are in charge of the communications at that particular organisation. So it is a fairly collaborative process. So you've got to be not afraid to talk to people. <laughs> mm. 
Okay. <laughs> we will we put the link in the show notes, but if you want to find out a little bit more about UX UI writing, um, a couple of things that Carly says is that even UX UI writing, even if it's something like you're writing book now or um, or, or, or words for buttons and, and, and stuff like that, you need to have a tone of voice that is ideal for that particular website or whatever it is that your user is inter, interfacing with. Um, and you need to make sure that you use as few words as possible so it's Hmm. really boiling it down you don't say do you want a book you say book now so Mm. it's boiling it's it's carly says it's always economies of scale you've got six words you have to get it to three so it's almost like a word game so Mm. and also of course seo search engine optimization it's important for ux ui writers to know that so have a look at the um uh, at the at the blog post if you're interested and we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So oh. moving on, I just want to give a big shout out to our new Teenage Creative Writers Program for Budding Authors, which is available very soon. It's a 10-week course and it is um, for keen young writers to help them unleash their creativity and improve their storytelling skills and they'll get their very own mentor if this sounds perfect for a teen, you know, go to writerscentercomau slash teens. That's writerscentercomau slash teens to be notified when it's available. Now, we have a fabulous, I've seen this book. It is so gorgeous. We have three copies of The Botanical Kitchen by Ellie McCausland. And it was the winner of the 2019 Jane Grigson Trust Award. This beautiful book places botanical ingredients at the fore, emphasising the power of a few small ingredients to transform and enhance food the world over. The choice of botanicals can transform a recipe, adding a new twist to a classic or creating surprising and rewarding combinations in this award-winning book. Weaving through this compelling text will be 90 delicious recipes, including relishes and tarts, salads and soups, noodle bowls and breads and everything in between, offering unique and insightful flavor pairings. So if you want a chance to win your copy, we have three copies to give away of The Botanical Kitchen by Ellie McCausland. Go to writercenter.com.au slash win. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Right now, Al. Are you ready for the word of the week? Do you know, I'm actually still slightly back there with the botanical kitchen and wondering whether there's a scone recipe in there for you. <laughs> um, but no, but you know, I can bring myself on to the next segment if you would like to share your word of the week with okay. me. Okay, thank you. Uxorious, and this is via Joanne Van Raphorst who kindly sent this to me. Uxorious, U-X-O-R-I-O-U-S, Uxorious. Um, So it's a word that I've seen and a word that I, you know, I recognise, but I don't think I could necessarily define it. When I first saw the word. What does it mean, Al? Well, yes, that's true. Because when I see words, you kind of think, oh, it might have something to do with X. So when I first saw it, for some reason, dentistry came to my mind. I think that's because I... I know. I think that's because I know of the word bruxism, you know, teeth grinding. Anyway, according to the Macquarie Dictionary, though, it's got nothing to do with dentistry. It means excessively or foolishly fond of one's wife or doting on one's wife. So you might say he had such uxorious affection for his wife, he never suspecting she, he never suspected her true feelings for him. Oh, dun, yeah. dun, dun. Exactly. You're really good at that. <laughs> I know. I've been practicing. I'm actually walking around the house constantly going, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uxorious, this week's word of the week. Use it in a sentence. See how you go. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week, Al. Who is it? This week we are talking to the delightful Imbi Nimi. Now, Imbi Nimi won last year's, uh, I think it was the 2019 Penguin Literary Prize. Um, But I first met her, I think, in about 2011 at a blogging conference. It was the first Mm. ever blogging conference in Australia. And she was at that stage blogging anonymously as the NDM. And um, she was, her blog was always one of my favourites because she had this biting wit that just Mm. was, it was really well written. Anyway, we met at this thing and we talked about writing. And anyway, she kind of stopped blogging 
blogging. She went off and did all these other things. But in the meantime, she's been working towards publishing her first novel. And so, you know, on the occasion of the launch and publication of her Ooh. first novel, The Spill, uh, we had a lovely chat about, you know, how how she got there and the winding path that she took. Imbi Nimi describes herself as a recovering blogger, compulsive short story writer, and now novelist. Her short fiction has won prizes in the 2019 Newcastle Short Story Awards, the 2018 Borondara Literary Awards, and has been shortlisted for the 2018 Peter Carey Short Story Award. Her manuscript, The Spill, was awarded the 2019 Penguin Literary Prize and was published on the 1st of June or the 2nd of June or anyway, June this year. So welcome to the program, Imbi. Oh, thanks for having me, Al. I'm really thrilled to be here. Now, you and I, of course, met about a thousand years ago through blogging mm -hmm. at a blogging conference. And I remember us chatting away at that point um, at the conference and you were talking then because you had um, one of the most interesting and entertaining blogs around at that stage, and you were talking about, you know, writing and wanting to, to write uh, novels and things. So while it seems like a fairy tale that you've won the Penguin Literary Prize and suddenly you're a published novelist, I know that your journey to publication has been more winding than that. So when did you write your first manuscript? Well, the story goes that I wrote my first paragraph of my first manuscript in July 2013. Mm. So I, I had kind of been blogging pretty actively up until about 2011 and then sort of very sporadically and I was doing some freelance writing here and there. And then I decided, yep, yeah, July 2013 in a, a restaurant in Dublin while I was visiting there with my partner, I sat down and wrote this paragraph. It took me another year to write the second paragraph, <laughs> but um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, obviously, I was thinking about it a lot in between paragraphs. Um, and then, and then I, 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 there was just, I don't know, it was like a, it was a bit like with kids and potty training and all of that. There's just a point where there's a, a switch that sort of gets flicked in your brain. And I, and then I was just doing it. I was, I was going, I was writing sort of consistently and um, the words were, were coming out onto the page. Some might say too many words and that first, um, draft I can't believe uh, I look back at it and just think I can't believe I showed that to so many people you know in that sort of like proud like I've written a book and I had not written a book I'd written the first draft of my first manuscript uh, so there was um and then there was a second manuscript and so the spill was actually my third manuscript third time lucky okay so what what did you do with that first manuscript you know you said you showed it to a lot of people did it go anywhere did you submit it like what did you do with it so my my main goal, I've always used the Unpublished Manuscript Awards as a kind of uh, way of setting deadlines for myself. I work really well to, dead, you know, a deadline. Yeah. I'm left to my own devices, um, yeah, not so well. Um, so that was always my, my goal was to submit that um, in the 2015 um, uh, Victorian published, uh, Victorian, let me get this right, Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Award. And, um, and I, I, I think it was like a, probably a really good second draft, maybe I'm being generous, might still have been a refined first draft that I submitted there. And, and I was really like thrilled when it made the judges commended list mm -hmm. and then drew attention um, was, you know, the, a, a publishers came to me through that listing and asked to see it. But the thing was, Al, it wasn't ready. Like, I, I sent it too soon, um, I think. And so I, I, I kind of had this idea that I'd sort of had a point of arrival, but there was so much more work to be done on that manuscript. And it, it ended up being taken on to the Hachette uh, Queensland Writers um, Centre Manuscript Development Program later that year. And that was fantastic um, experience. I met some other you know, great writers, learned so much about the industry. It was a real um, opportunity for those curtains to be pulled back and sort of see how, how the sausages get made. Um, and in terms of my own sausage that I was making, it, it got really close with Hachette. It almost got published. It got all the way to acquisitions, but then was passed. Um, so that was really devastating. But actually, looking back, 
even though I'd gotten really close, I, I'm, I'm really glad I wasn't published then. Not that I don't want to see that manuscript one day published, but I don't think I had built up the emotional calluses that are required to be published. Right. I think I needed to have a bit more rejection and hardship Um just me personally, just because I am someone who wears my emotions really close to my um, skin. They're just under the surface, as anyone who lives with me can tell you. Um, very quick to tear. So I think I think I really needed to have a few more sort of goes on the roller coaster, the ups and downs before I could really sort of handle being published. So in some ways, I'm very grateful that it didn't happen back then. What do you think, like, like just from what you know now, having taken now three manuscripts through the process and one of them all the way through the process to, um, to, to publication, what do you think it was? And this is like I'm just thinking about our listeners here, many of whom, you know, are, are you know, would love to have the, the journey that you've had. What was undercooked about that particular sausage? Like what when you look at it now <laughs> – just, I'm glad just, we're continuing this. Let's this just take good. this all the way. What do you think? <laughs> like, why? Why was it not that one? What do you think was the was the um, defining I, factor? I think I think that my my craft. I hadn't perfected my craft, and I don't actually think I've perfected my craft. You know, um, now now I don't think it's anywhere near perfect. But I think that I really. You know, I've obviously written for years and written all sorts of things, but, you know, it's like a long-term relationships. You know, you, you know, you're not necessarily good at long-term relationships immediately. Mm. <laughs> As someone who's now in my second marriage, I can tell you I'm much better in this long-term relationship, which has, you know, been nine years than I was in my 13-year relationship before that because cause you learn so much from, from it. Do you, does that make sense? I it don't does. know. I moved away from the sausage metaphor, though. Sorry. No, no, we've moved on to a whole okay. new metaphor, which is okay. always exciting. And this is this is what you know progress is, right? Um, <laughs> so I guess it. But I guess if I was looking at, um, at at specifics, are we talking about things like structure? Are we talking about things like pacing? Are we talking about things like character development? Like, what do you think is the what what aspects of craft does it take time to learn properly? I think, well, it, you know, some some people just naturally have strengths um, in one area. Like I yeah. think I think structure is something that I'm reasonably good with, and it's always I always sort of challenge myself with the way in which I structure my manuscripts. None of them have been purely linear, like you know, from the beginning to the end kind of storytelling. But I think. I think it's just that that um, making the manuscript a vehicle that's going to carry the reader from the beginning to the end, you know, I think mm. it's pace really, um, mm. not losing people's interest and characters. I don't, I think I've been like, or always okay with characters, but I've learnt in time to make, I don't know, make them live a little more on the page. And in fact, just the other day, while I was having a shower, maybe that's too much information. Oh, no, it's probably, it's like Val talks about glad. it all the time. Val yeah. discusses the the value of the shower in the idea process all the time. Oh. So we're all right with that. Good on you, Val. Yeah. Um, I um, yeah, I had this sort of breakthrough about my second manuscript, which I've gone back to taking some of the things that I've learned through the editorial process. Um, this breakthrough where I was like. With two of the characters, I'm like, what's, what's the problem with those storylines? And and it's because I haven't seen them clearly enough in my head and I know that hasn't transferred onto the page. And I suddenly saw them both so clearly and I just knew much better than I had when I'd been, you know, working away at that manuscript who they were and I just can't wait to get back to that and kind of really, really sort of put, put that into the ma- manuscript, that new knowledge that I had discovered in the shower. Thank heavens for the shower. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so what, you have won many prizes for your short stories. Is that your preferred form of, of literary expression? Like did you start out with short stories or was the manuscript, the novel, the first thing that you went with? I wrote short stories in university and when I say I wrote them I probably wrote about three um and obviously I'd written some at school as part of you know school curriculum um and then had a 25 year gap 
um, where I wrote not a single short story and actually had come to accept that perhaps I couldn't write short stories because I really think that they use a different muscle from long-form fiction and I had this idea of like, oh, I could turn one of my chapters into a short story and enter it into a competition and I remember taking, trying to do that with one of my chapters and just got more questions than I could bother answering. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Um but um, it just got to the point where with the second manuscript, I had um, – I the, the agent I had then um, had been, you know, knocking on doors and we just weren't getting much response. It hadn't entered it into all the usual unpublished manuscript awards, got absolutely nowhere. I felt it was much better than my first one. And you think, oh, well, if it got certain way and if my first manuscript got on the judges' commendant list, then this one's better. So it, Therefore, it shall win. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that. So um, I, I got very down in the mouth and thought maybe, maybe, maybe long form fiction isn't isn't what I'm meant to be writing. Um, maybe I should just sort of you know turn my eye, like the eye of Sauron, uh, over to the world of. Um, of short stories, and so I did the the New York um, the you know, the midnight oh yeah the midnight yes oh, five minute challenge two. yeah I did yeah, I that did one. that as a way of because I had to pay fifty five American dollars and it, anyone who knows me if I pay money for something then I have to get the most out of that mm. <laughs> I put money on the table and I forced myself to write a short story and I found that I really enjoyed it and then I started to you know write more and then started entering them and then I you know I was really surprised to get listed and and then actually win a couple of prizes it was it was it kind of gave me did two things it gave me a few small wins which I just needed at that point just for my self-confidence but it also reconnected me with my love of writing because I Mm. kind of lost that I love writing but I don't love trying to get published so um, (laughs) that was that was really important for me to do that and actually by the end of 2018 I had had so I'd had enough success with my short stories that I thought that's that's you know, the universe is saying to me that maybe maybe the novels, I should push them aside and just focus on short stories. Maybe that's my way, my pathway to publication is putting together a collection because, you know, short story collections are having a renaissance. They're hashtag so hot right now. Um, and maybe that's that's what I should do. So I was aiming to put a collection in for the next years of um, uh, Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Award. And that's when I got the email from Meredith Kerno at Penguin saying I'd been shortlisted for the Penguin Prize. You know, I'd practically forgotten. I think it was just the day before I found out that I'd been shortlisted that I remembered I'd even entered and thought, oh, we should be hearing about that soon and kind of bracing myself for the usual disappointment. And then to get that email and go, oh, okay. Oh, all right. Well, and so you just sent it in as a matter of course, did you? In the sense of, oh, well, I've got this manuscript and this is open, and maybe I'll just have a crack at it. Well, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I was too hasty. I thought maybe I was too. <laughs> That's very like me to be hasty. So, okay, two things. You mentioned in there that you had an agent. Do you still have an agent? Has you had an agent the whole time? So, um, so I was with Antoinette Fennell, who sort of does a lot of um, work with people to help them kind of write their own stories. And she had a like a little agenting side business, um, which she's now, I believe, stopped. And mm. and around the time that I really kind of gave up on getting published, I just didn't want any more disappointment. I, you know, um, uh, I, I, Antoinette and I had a conversation, and we sort of parted ways, mm. but we're still remain friends um just go back to the relationship metaphor um but um and then and then through the so by by the time I had um won the penguin prize Anjanette wasn't agenting anymore and um and that's when um through some uh family connections I got an introduction to Jane Novak um And Jane and I had, I just remember a conversation like I was at work and I was sitting on this sort of chair in the foyer and had this conversation where, you know, she she said, I promised myself I wouldn't take any new fiction writers on, but I just can't resist you. And I, oh, I'm okay. grateful. Um, I love Jane to bits and she's she's been such a great guide through all of this process. Fantastic. All right. So what do you think made the spill? different to previous manuscripts like why was this one a winner 
I think I think that in terms of marketability, I think the sister theme is very compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when I do the elevator pitch, which I hope you'll give me an opportunity to do. I'm about to give you that opportunity. Uh, it's a, tell well, us about the book, Envy. <laughs> Start to warm up my vocal cords. Um <laughs> So yeah, I think I think that really that really was the thing because I think that you know my other manuscripts have the same sort of like um, feel to them. I'm I'm just really interested in writing about ordinary lives and finding the extraordinary within those ordinary lives. So I'm not I'm not writing kind of dramatic sort of big arc kind of stories or um, it's it's very close to to my version of reality which mm. some might say is kind of fantastical <laughs> but um, yeah but I think the sisters thing was the hook that perhaps the other manuscripts were missing all right so tell us about the spill give us the elevator okay. pitch all right so we all have to pretend we're in an elevator right right over in um, one I'm ready okay, okay cool Um, Okay, so no two people ever experience or remember the same thing in the same way, especially when they're sisters. Mm. And Mm -hmm. where did you start this book? Like where did this story come to to you from? Like what what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, and this is the point where I wish to God that I'd kept some kind of journal because I get asked this question and I think it was – I recently described it in an interview where I think with novels, it's sort of like, it's like this sort of dreamlike material, the sort of, you've got this sort of whispers and sort of vague shapes and shadows that slowly kind of crystallize and become a clear idea. So I, I think I'd been thinking about it for a while. And certainly my first manuscript had been about marriages and mm-hmm. my second um, manuscript had been about motherless children and um, and children without mothers and um, and then oh hang on no motherless children and no anyway I'll, I'll I should actually <laughs> save that put... one for when it comes out <laughs> yeah okay well, have to work on that elevator pitch and then the third one I thought oh, maybe the sister relationship is is a you know a, such a rich kind of vein to tap into. Um, so yes, yeah, so so I sort of set up with this idea of the sisters, and I I I also was really fascinated, particularly because a friend of mine had this big argument with her sister, and they both remembered something from their childhood so completely differently, like it was almost impossible to believe that they had both been there at the same time, like they they it, it the the stories did not match in any way, and I was so interested in that, and mm. so it got me thinking about how we do have this often have this big gap. Um, and there's always a little gap because what we sort of remember is is always going to be a little bit different from what we experience. But sometimes that memory does get really twisted and bent out of shape so that it no longer <laughs> resembles what actually happened. We kind of fictionalize it to a certain degree. So we, we all sort of weave these, this narrative of our own lives for ourselves. And um, so I, I, they were the things that I was sort of interested in exploring. And then I remember this car accident I was in when I was 10 and I was really reflecting on how pivotal that moment had been in terms of changing me and how I experienced the world. Um, So I decided to take a fictionalised version of that car accident and put two fictitious sisters and their mother in there and, and as the starting point. And that's that's where the, the story began to really grow. And so what's your writing process from there? Are you someone who plots it out or did you just take that scenario and start writing and, you know, hope for the best? I am a plotter because I have these sort of very ambitious goals with st- structure. I can't. I can't just write into the void. I know lots of people sort of enjoy that, but I, I don't. I need to kind of have some kind of um, scaffolding around me. I, of course, there's room in there for me to make discoveries, and I always discover new things as I'm writing. Um, but, yes, I, I, I literally plotted this out. And I had – because it's kind of split into two sort of threads, main threads. One is a sort of a present-day thread, which alternates between the two sisters. And then there's the past, which also alternates between the two sisters. And so they're kind of all interwoven. And I, I really needed to be very careful with that structure. Um, and, I, you know, to the point where I had – well, actually – 
I, this is this isn't a surprise for me. I, I make a spreadsheet at, at the drop of a hat. Give me an excuse, and I will make a spreadsheet because that's how I kind of best see the world, and through a spreadsheet. Um, and if only I could write a novel in a spreadsheet. God, that would be brilliant. <laughs> anyway, that's just uh, I'm putting that uh, idea aside. But um, I, I made a very complex spreadsheet for this book be- because it's told in a sort of like the the past chapters are kind of peppered through the story, but not in a linear fashion. You don't start when they're young and move up to when the present day. You're kind of moving around a lot. So I needed to be able to see the novel in in the order that it happened in, you know, real life, the chronological order, but also in the order in which I'd placed it in the book and then make sure that each of those past chapters were earning their place. Right. Because the present day narrative was based very much on the hero's journey. Um, I used that as my starting point with the three-act structure and, you know, the, the inciting incident and the sort of refusal of adventure and blah, blah, blah. I, I use that as a starting point. I never looked back on it, so I don't know how far I've deviated, but I, as a starting point, was good, but I wouldn't recommend anyone hold that up against the book because they might be disappointed um, and see that I've really, you know, gone off on a tangent. But So I did that with the present day, but with the past, I just every chapter needed to earn its place and it needed to either introduce, progress or resolve a small or large mystery. So the whole book is kind of comprised of this, these little mysteries um, between the two sisters, the miscommunications, why wasn't Nicole invited to be Samantha's bridesmaid? You know, why does Nicole own this cookie um, monster jar um, that's completely ugly? <laughs> um, and, and just, you know, these 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 little mysteries there so each chapter had to to kind of help those that was a very long answer i can see why you needed a spreadsheet i might need to spreadsheet that answer when i (laughs) get to it (laughs) i can make it for you i'm your girl okay you just send send that through um (laughs) so uh, what was like the moment that you like it was announced that you were the winner what was the publishing journey like for you from that point it in in retrospect it it's. I mean, it's. It felt really long at the time. Like it, I it was announced mid-March, and 13 months later, I was finally published. Um, but actually, um, the times that the book came to me, so doing the structural edit, and then the um, copy edit, and then um, looking through the proofread pages, um, they. The turnaround for those, especially when juggling home and um, life and work life, felt very, very small windows and very intense, particularly because I got married in between the copy edit and the proof. Right. So, um, as you do. Oh, as you do. And I look back at that time and just think, was I insane like <laughs> to, to even attempt that but I did it and um and I'm so glad I'm so glad to be holding my book in my hands now but yes it was it was intense and I think also the editing process is, is like a master class in your own writing you learn so much about your strengths and also your weaknesses um what your little kind of go-to phrases are um all my characters are always sighing and um looking down at their hands or their feet or the ground and <laughs> well, I haven't tried that one mine touch. roll their eyes they frown oh, yeah. yeah there's a, a lot, lot of rolled eyes too what is it like those eyeballs they just need oh, to so many stay. eyes so many eyes. I, I remember getting a, a, a note from my editor um, about, I think it was the first Mapmaker Chronicles book, and it was about, she, she was like, I'm really worried about Quinn's, you know, um, forehead lines going forward in life because he's going to have terrible wrinkles from all of this browning that he's doing. I'm like, well, he's worried. He's, he's a very worried boy. So I know, I know what you're saying. Um, so how do you fit the writing into your life? Like you just said, you know, you had this incredibly busy time of it. And you, you've got a family and you've got, you know, all of these other things going on. When do you do it? How do you make it happen? I think, and, and you you may sort of um, have a similar experience, Al, is, is blogging really helped me. Mm. I really built up this muscle, this ability to write in really short, intense bursts. So I'm not someone who, you know, sits down at the desk and stretches out and maybe kind of, you know, drinks a cup of coffee, looks off into space. I am like laptop open, like write as hard as I can. And then, you know, it's almost like I have my own shut up and write session. (laughs) and then, you know, and shut the, the the laptop. And I find, like, initially I do kind of 
when I'm entering the world of a novel, I think uh, I do 250 words a day and then um, – and I do that every day. And even if it's, you know, it's like drawing blood from a stone, I still make myself do the 250 words until I start to get that flow and then I might increase it to 500 words. And it's important for me to set a word target because if I don't have that sense of achievement of hitting that word target, then I hate everybody and everything in my life that's not my manuscript. Yeah, I know that feeling when you've got that sort of se- that nagging sense of I haven't done the words. It's terrible. Yes. Yeah. So so that's that's kind of so I, I do it in short bursts and I have those that kind of word target and then having that daily contact with the manuscript I think is also really important. So in those moments of downtime when I'm doing the dishes or I'm stuck in traffic or, you know, um, uh, listening to a child tell me endlessly about their animal crossing um, <laughs> villages, um, I can kind of, you know, have a little kind of, you know, little uh, vacation in my mind back to the land of my manuscript. And I actually apologise whenever my son talks to me about Animal Crossing. It's actually delightful. I, I think there's a novel. In- yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so you mentioned blogging and we, we did meet many years ago when you were the NDM, um, one of the most entertaining blogs that I remember reading at the time. What made you start blogging and what made you stop? The starting, uh, it came. A friend told me um, I'd, I'd written a couple of really long sort of posts on Facebook. She said, "Have you ever thought about starting a blog?" And you know, uh, the story goes. After I googled what is a blog, uh, <laughs> then started not drowning mothering. And I think for me, having you know young children, my, I think my youngest was four and my eldest was eight at that point. So, you know, I'd sort of come out of that intense sort of early childhood stage, but was sort of entering the school years where I wasn't quite back at work, but I was juggling a lot of um, a lot of children. And I um, really needed an outlet, something that was just for me and also t- to reconnect with something that I was very passionate about about which was writing and so I, I, I loved I loved blogging and I was very disciplined about it and you know I blogged five days a week for you know three years and then slowly that kind of uh, started to dwindle um, and the stopping was very hard actually um, there were two reasons one one is that I went through um, a divorce and then but that sort of life that I had been sharing and in a very light-hearted way I couldn't really yes. in a light-hearted way anymore it just became too painful and it also felt like it just wasn't my story just my story to share there were just too many people in pain oh, and, yeah. and it just, just didn't feel right and then the other reason and this is sort of actually um, connects to the conversation you and I had at that blogging conference back in the dark ages um, when I really had this idea that the blog would somehow sort of, you know, build a little bridge and carry me over into being published as a a novelist, right? Mm. And, of course, the only attention – I did get a little bit of attention from publishers, but it was always nonfiction publishers um, who wanted me to turn the blog into a book, and that just wasn't something that I was interested in doing. Mm. Um, I felt like I'd said everything I wanted to say in the blog itself, and – um, I really hate kind of rehashing stuff, yeah. so which is why I'm finding this whole publicity circuit really hard because I find myself saying, you know, trying to um, vary my answers without outright lying. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I apologise to anyone who's heard me say anything that I've said in this interview before. I apologise. I just really hate it. Anyway, uh, moving along. So, yeah, so that realisation that, yeah, that was – so that was not going to be my pathway to publication, but it was still essential in terms of um, developing that muscle and also that discipline um, and focus um, amidst all the noise of my life. I, it, I'm so grateful to have had the, that blogging experience. Do you think that the platform that you built through blogging, you know, did eventually help you to promote your writing now, like in the sense of the people, like, and, and I'm talking about it probably from the perspective of more like the the people that you met along the way and, you know, Twitter and all of that kind of stuff because, I mean, we know each other because we met through blogging and we have no real contact outside of social networking but your book crossed my desk and I went, of course I'll talk to Imbi because we know each other. That's really (laughs) – and, you know, like um, um, Kerry Sackville is someone that was also part of that 
uh, that kind of blogging circuit at the time and she's been tremendously helpful and supportive and actually gave a blurb for the book and is going to be in conversation with me in an event sometime in the future. So I think I think you're right, building up that network. I'm not sure because I blogged anonymously yeah. um, and I think there, there's not necessarily that connect between my blog and me as, as the published writer. As a person, yeah. Mm, but, I mean, I have um, – certainly people have contacted me and go, oh, you're the NDM and, oh, I loved your blog and I'm so excited about your book. And my book is not my blog. No, um, not at but, all. But there is – there is a certain uh, similar flavour to some of it um, to my blog. But it's also the fact that I remember your blog very fondly because the writing was so good. Like it was a real standout at the time, um, you know, around the traps because it was such a good, well-written blog. And I think that's why you got interest from nonfiction publishers at the time as well. So it does give you that sort of, it's a, I just think it's strange how these things work. And I've always said that you just never, ever know how any of this stuff is going to work out for you. No, no one, certainly no one could have plotted my <laughs> publication, not even me with my spreadsheets. No, that's right. Well, I, I think I read somewhere that you are actually 50 this year um, and here you are, you know, debut novelist at 50, which is yay you. Um, but was there a time where you thought you'd left it too late, like to be a writer? Well, yes and no. I mean, I had wanted to be an actress quite desperately in my sort of <laughs> late teens, early 20s. That's and next. Uh, yeah, so I still I still think I'm going to have my breakthrough role. Um, no, I think so. That something with acting really does. I mean, you know, I hate to say this to anyone who's turning fifty who's still a wannabe actress, but there is that kind of shelf life aspect to it. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's all those sort of things that people say. Oh, Elizabeth Jolly was 65, or you know, um, J.K. Rowling was 722 and had 2,000 rejections or whatever. There's, there's those kind of um, Think stories that people tell me. Actually, I know J.K. Rowling was actually much younger yeah, um, than 723 or whatever. Um, but but yeah, so I, I I never really gave up on the idea. But but certainly through the process of trying to get publication uh, publicated uh, <laughs> published um, and forgetting all my words, um, I, there was a point where I really I really thought maybe maybe I won't get published and maybe that's okay because maybe it's enough for me to write, to have that love of writing mm. and for me to connect with readers within my immediate circle. I mean, there's always the hope that your your work will find its readers outside of your mother and <laughs> your best friends. Um, but, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's going to be enough for me. And um, maybe I was, that was like a, a moment of, clarity or sort of spiritual um, awareness, or maybe I was just deluding myself temporarily. But I really had come to accept that, yeah, maybe that's not 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 going to happen for me. And then it did happen. So maybe, you know, you love something, you've got to let it go. I don't know. There's some kind of some, maybe a song, song by Sting about this. <laughs> there's, some, there's some serious message in there somewhere for yes, sure. Somewhere, somewhere. And are you, are you currently working on a new manuscript? Uh, well, I'm, I've, I'm, my aim is to go back to my second manuscript. Right. I, I, ultimately, I like to go back to my third, but that just needs – that leads a real kind of overhaul. It's like a big renovation project. But my second manuscript just needs a real kind of – just a freshen up, a just big spring clean. Done. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Cosmetic. That's right. And I'm desperate to write my fourth book. Like I'm so desperate, but I just can't. I just can't make the time or the sort of mental space. Certainly no one ever told me that getting published is going to take up so much of my time. You think, oh, I've done the books, like mm. that's all. But it's just, it's really intense. And I think that's um, a surprise to a lot of people is how mm-hmm. much work is involved in actually getting the book out there. Yeah, It's so much work. I'm Answering so tired. so many questions and, and so many interviews and doing, yeah, it, it does take up a huge amount of headspace. And it's, it's actually something that Val and I talk about a lot and being ready for it, being prepared for it, because it, it's, a, yeah. it's a surprise, I think, if you haven't ever done it before. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, at the same time, like such a huge privilege. I mean, I'm really Absolutely. so humbled that people, you know, want to actually talk to me about my writing, my book, you know, it's, it's quite surreal. The first time you see someone write about your work in a kind of a review or sort of some kind of piece of tweet on wrote a piece of 
about um, my book in the big for the big issue, and I read that, and it was this feeling of like that's that's my work she's talking about. Mm. I cried because it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, rather than have you know just an email from your best friend saying I think your book's great. Um, <laughs> Which does mean a lot and really buoys you, but to have that outside recognition, oh my God, that's just just amazing. So, okay, so we've got two things to do now. First of all, yes. I need to say thank you very much for you know coming along and talking to us about your um, about your book and about your journey. Where in Binimi do we find you online? Oh, you find me everywhere, Al. I am everywhere. Um, I'm spread very thinly like so much butter over toast. I am on But Twitter. your home uh, on the internet is? Yes. This is at, where you at, give me your website address. <laughs> okay. com is my author site. I'm on Twitter at, at uh, the NDM, T-H-E-N-D-M, and I'm on Instagram, uh, Imbinimi. I'm also on Facebook, Imbinimi Writer. I've listened to your podcast. I have taken all the, all, you know, author <laughs> platform stuff very seriously. Go and you. I want to give a big shout out to your community, your amazing community of writers. There's so much support in there, and I have dipped in and out over the last sort of you know four years and have is it four years anyway I I and and whenever I've needed that support it's there you guys are amazing the the world that you've built there that safe place to kind of support each other it's amazing thank you so much that's lovely to hear and I'm going to spell Imbi's name for you um, in case it's I-M-B-I N double E M E. But yes, thank you very much for that, Envy. I appreciate um, the feedback. Now, we are going to finish today with our world famous top three tips for writers. So, what can you tell us? Okay, my first one is it's really important to stand by your writing and submit. Um, you know, it's one thing to write something and then just hide it in the bottom drawer. You need to stand by it and put it out there in the world. Um, but make it sure it's the best it can be before you do that. That's back to my lesson of my first manuscript. <laughs> um, with uh, my second one is is r- really think very carefully about who who is going to be your circle of of trusted. Um, readers, your beta readers mm. or your frontline readers. Um, just you, you want to make sure that you're showing the right people who are going to give you constructive feedback, but also that they're your target readers. There's no point showing your work to someone who's never going to be your target reader. I think mm. that's something it took me a little while to work out. Yep. Um, and then the third thing, which is some advice that my friend and writer Jane Rawson gave me, um, it's write the kind of story that you yourself would want to read. And I, I think that's really important because I really stuck to my guns because of that advice. Um, I know that other people who had kind of been in a similar situation had so tried to change their their work to kind of meet the market. And, you know, and it's not to say that you shouldn't think about the market, but ultimately if you're not writing authentically writing the story um, that you really you, you you want to write and that you want to read, um, I think it shows. I think there can be something hollow to that writing. Mm. And um, that's not to say that when you finish something that the market's going to be there for it. But, um, you know, the, the stars might align as they did for me and they certainly didn't align for a long time. Um, but, yeah, I just think stay true to yourself. Stay, stay true to your author voice, your internal author voice. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. They're great tips, different to some of the ones we've had before, which we always love. Yay. Yay. Um, So thank you very much for your time today, Imbi. Best of luck with your book. I hope it goes absolute gangbusters for you. And congratulations on, you know, winning the award. And and here you are. You did it. I did it. Let's have a little parade. You did it. I'm clapping. I'm giving I'm, myself a round of applause. I know. I, I'm very excited for you because I remember the conversation and so it always oh, makes yes. me so happy, you know, to see yes. you there with your book in your oh. hand going, look at me, I did it. Well, and, and here's the thing is that conversation, you would sort of, you tried to tell me, uh, I don't think, you know, you're not going to build that bridge with the blog. It's not going to go that way. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to write the blog and then they will come, you know, build it and they will come. But, um, yes, I just remember, I remember so clearly that conversation, Al. You were wise beyond your years back then when we were <laughs> Oh, God. All right. Well, thanks so much, Imbi. And uh, we will look forward to seeing, you know, what you do next. Thanks, Al. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Short Story Essentials, will show you the techniques to create your own 2,500 word short story. Created by Cathy Tasker, a fiction editor with more than 25 years' experience, this course has a very clear goal to help you write your own short story that you can be proud of, one that you can enter in short story competitions and share with your friends and family. We give you the blueprint to structure your short story, teach you vital techniques so that your characters come to life, and give you the tools to bring your own ideas and creativity to the process. The course is split into seven modules, and each is designed to guide you through each step of writing your full story. Then, once you've completed it, you can submit your story for personal feedback from your tutor. With our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash stories. There you go, Imbi Nimi. And I just love how she had that strategy of entering competitions. What a, you know, useful and productive result. (laughs) Well, I, I, I think, you know, the fact that she used the unpublished, uh, the Victorian Premier's unpublished manuscript mm. awards as a deadline, you know, right. each time, it didn't necessarily get her over the line with those particular um, but those particular manuscripts, but it gave her that deadline to keep mm. working towards. Um, and then, of course, you know, she discovered that love of short stories and there was a yes. moment there where she wavered as to whether or not the novel was actually going to be for her at all. Um, and the other thing I love about her story is the fact that, you know, it's never too late. It's never too late. Like, you know, mm. you, you, if you had told her she was going to have her debut novel at 50, would she have, you know, laughed in your face and said, don't be ridiculous? Probably not. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, you know, one of those things that it, it, I think it's just think it's a great story all around. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, fantastic. All right. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, what am I doing? That's a great question, Valerie. I'm sure I've got something really important to talk about here, but I can't remember what it is. So um, obviously I'm just doing stuff. Um, let's see. Oh, Book Boy is heading off to the studio again um, this weekend. He's starting oh, to wow. record his next EP, which is exciting. So that's, you know, it'll be a fairly lengthy process, I think. But um, so that's happening. There'll be some mummaging going on. Well, I, you know, he's totally dumped me as a mummager these days. He just does really? it all himself and all. Yeah, well, I just drive the car and I don't even <laughs> You're carry You're the chauffeur. You've been demoted from mummager to I've, chauffeur. <laughs> I fully have. I have just been dumped. I'm not even roadie anymore because he can carry his own guitar and stuff now. So all I basically am. And he's also, you know, he... He's uh, 16 these days, so we're doing driving lessons. Can we just talk about the fact that I'm remarkably calm in the face of driving lessons? Um, So, you know, he's he's quite competently coming along with the driving. He's done about 30 hours now and he, you know, can get round and round about without... (laughs) nearly hitting the gutter it's very exciting um wow. so you know it's it's i don't know it's weird Val. Like you, these people that were babies like four oh, minutes ago yeah and are now suddenly managing Driving. themselves and i i know just anyway he's doing that mm. i i think i'm supposed to be writing stuff this week and i'm hoping that that might actually be the case that'd be good i need to do that yes what oh, about good. you what are you doing i'm gonna be well, tidying well, no, you're not because I saw oh, you with a pair yeah. of jeans on Facebook oh, yes. yesterday. That's right. That's right. I've been busy doing Tim Cahill's portrait and I will be releasing some pictures of that, you know, and the work's in progress. So that has been... Um, is it exciting? Is it nerve-wracking? It is like, both just those like... things. Yes, it's definitely both those things. So if listeners haven't caught up, I'm doing the portrait of Tim Cahill, who, if you don't know, uh, is a former Socceroo. He's played in four World Cups for Australia, is the highest ever gold scorer for Australia of all time, and has played in the English Premier League and for a number of teams around the world. Um and I'm doing, I've been commissioned to do his portrait for Jeans for Jeans Day to raise money for the Children's Medical Research Institute. And if you are a fan of Tim or soccer, I'd love for you to check it out and spread the word because, of course, my aim is to raise money for the institute. And Tim has donated a pair of his signed jeans. And um, other celebrities have done this in the past or high-profile people, including um, Keith Urban and Shane Warne and Hugh Jackman and um, William Shatner, Chris Pine. Uh, 
lots of famous people and they donate their signed jeans and then an artist is asked to incorporate them into an artwork <clears throat> and then this goes to auction. It will go to auction on the 20th of June and, um, yeah, hopefully she raises so money. Just, just to clarify, you put mm. the portrait on the jeans? You, you can do whatever you want. You can either put it on the jeans, you can do it on it, you can incorporate the jeans into a larger artwork. It's completely up to you as the artist. So how you only you get, want so you've got this it. one pair of jeans and then That's... you've got this idea. And what do you do if you're like, what do, what do you do if it, if it doesn't work out? Do you ring him <laughs> up and say, sorry, Timmy? Gonna need a second pair of Levi's, or yeah, no. <laughs> what you do can't. You do? Well, you don't stuff it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's why it's nerve wracking. Pressure. I know the pressure. No delete so. button. That's oh. right. No, no undo button. No edit. Mm. Oh, that's that right. Wanna, I'm not trying to like freak you out here or anything. Yeah, but thanks. Like, no edit. Thanks. Sorry about yes. that. Gosh. No control <gasps> Z. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Uh, Go Val. I'm so yes. proud of you, though. It's very oh, exciting. It's really fun, and it's what's been really interesting, to be honest, is um, because sure you could just do a portrait of somebody and make sure you get their likeness or some semblance of their likeness, but I really wanted to tell a story through the artwork, and so I made sure I read his autobiography, Legacy, to get a real sense of you know, his worldview and to get a real sense of what actually drives him because I felt that that was important to incorporate in the artwork. And mm -hmm. so one of the things I did was I, um, for the bits that I found inspiring, I printed them out in, you know, in big sheets of paper and actually stuck them in my studio, stuck them oh, around my studio. you told us this last week. You've already told us this story. Oh, Okay. I feel so like you're repeating I, yourself now. I, am I thought you would just myself. like stick big pictures of soccer balls all around the place and just well, get yourself sewn that way. Well, not quite, not quite. But, you know, there might be some listeners who didn't catch last week's sorry. episode. I'm so sorry. I totally just oh. cut you off then, didn't I? Sorry about that. Yes. No, please tell us more. This is fascinating. I'm I haven't sorry heard any of this myself. before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, it was interesting because a, an, an artist I know said, why are you reading his autobiography? And, like, and I said, why wouldn't I, you know? Oh, <laughs> so really? It was bizarre. Like, don't you think that it kind of just is – I think that's – well, I agree. But I also think that's just the way that you and I go about things. Like if you can know it, all the things yes, and everything, right. then you want to know all the things and everything before you mm. start because that way at least you kind of – yeah, I, I, maybe – I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how anyway. art works. Oh, it's not my – it's not my forte on any level. Anyway, it has been an interesting and challenging exercise because how often do you have to incorporate a pair of jeans in your artwork, right? Not well, often. Rarely. <laughs> <laughs> really incorporating jeans into my artwork, it has to be said. Oh, well, good luck with that. We look for I, I personally, for one, am very much looking forward to seeing what you come up with. I think it's going to be amazing. Well, let's hope so. All right. Uh, where do we find you online now? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at altate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and where am I? Instagram at alisontaitwriter. <laughs> it's going well. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, which is probably where I'm documenting the journey of Tim's jeans, and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>